message. We'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll get looking at it. It goes like this. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. Let's have a word of prayer before we get going this morning. Lord, we do thank you for all the blessings that you give to us. As Brother Fisher pointed out, if, if we would only focus on the blessings, life doesn't seem so discouraging anymore. If we're focusing on our requests, and boy, things seem discouraging. But when we see how much you bless, we see what a great God you are. And that's what we're always supposed to be uplifting, is our great God to this world. Help us to lift your name up and exalt it and to carry it forth into this world that doesn't know you. Let them, as they see us, wonder what it is that makes us different. You are a mighty God, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So as I say, we're looking at two verses here this morning. Uh, and we're probably going to be pretty brief this morning. Uh, obviously, we're only looking at two verses. I don't want to break into our next section, which uh, talks about false teachers and how we can recognize them. And we, as we've seen in the last couple of weeks, we've last quite a few weeks, uh, we've addressed the issues that concern widows, uh, issues that concern elders. Last week we looked at, uh, Paul was given some concerns regarding Timothy himself, uh, Timothy's health and Timothy's teaching, things like that. We looked at that last week. And Paul now turns our attention to the proper attitudes of slaves the attitudes that slaves ought to have. And before we go any further, we ought to pay attention to what the word slave is here. The word slave is doulai, that's plural, slaves. Uh, uh, in singular, it would be doulos. That's a bond slave. It's the very lowest category of slave. It's a the lowest, most elementary slave. It's not an exalted slave. There were various categories. There were household slaves and things like that. Paul's talking about the lowest slave, a bond slave. And remember, you've heard me talk about doulai and doulos before. Paul considered himself and Timothy as doulai of Christ. We see that. Let's, let's go over to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, Philippians. Lost my directions here for a minute. He's, uh, this is Paul. He says, Paul and Timotheus, that's Timothy, the servants, that's doulai, of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. So Paul and Timothy considered themselves bond slaves of Christ, the very lowest servant. They could be asked to do anything. The King James reads here in, uh, back in 1 Timothy, he says, as many, let as many servants do a lie. That means every single person who fits the category of bond slave, every single one fits under the category of what we're talking about here this morning. 
and there's another interesting phrase here. Uh, Let as many servants as are under the yoke, it says. Uh, That's a very common phrase from classical Greek literature to describe being in an enslaved situation. As you you know me, I read uh, ancient Greek so that I'm kind of familiar with uh, what the, the culture of the Bible would be. I enjoy reading the Iliad that this term under the yoke is used many, many times uh, to describe mentor. Mentor, of course, was uh, uh, a servant of Odysseus, uh, who ended up training Telemachus in the, in the myth as it goes along. He was described as being under the yoke. He was a bond slave. He was a pig herder. Uh, but he was the mentor who taught Telemachus. Anyway, uh, Jesus even used this very term as a metaphor for being his disciple. When he said, take my yoke upon you, he was using the exact same Greek phrase. It it was a very common phrase to be used to describe being in a state of slavery. Now, let's think about it for a minute. Slavery is an undesirable condition, isn't it? It's not a, nobody, boy, I sure wish I was a slave. Nobody says that. But the fact is, it was very common throughout the Roman Empire. In fact, it's very common in most of the world today, even though Americans and our woke America refuse to think so. It's a very common state in this world today. We'll talk about it a little bit more in a little bit. In Ephesus, in the first century, that's where we are for... uh, the book of 1 Timothy, you could be born into several uh, different social castes. And once you were born into that caste, there was very little chance of you ever rising above the caste that you were born into. It happened once in a while where a slave might be freed. Uh, People may, if they came into wealth, they might purchase citizenship, and that puts you into a higher caste than what you would have been ordinarily. But that was rare, very, very rare. Uh, In fact, it was pretty much a universal truth until the founding of the United States when we, in our Declaration of Independence, said, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that amongst these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it goes on, you all know that. We were the first nation in the history of mankind that at our establishment said all men are created by God and as such have certain rights. First nation in history. That needs to be remembered. That's being destroyed, actively destroyed today. I'm starting to get a little political. I'm starting to get off topic. I'm going to come. I'm liable to get a little political today. Uh, I pray that you'll forgive me. Uh, I I do deliberately try not to as I go through some of these, but today it's hard for me to avoid. Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. As we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 21, uh, we see that Paul urges slaves to do something. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 21. He says, Art thou called... Being a servant, he's talking about, did you get saved while you were a servant, a slave? Care not for it. 
don't worry about that. Don't worry that, you were, that you're a slave and a Christian at the same time. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. What he's saying there is, if you get a chance to get free, become free, earn your freedom, buy your freedom, whatever, then by all means take advantage of that. But if we turn over to Philemon chapter, uh, verse 16, let's go over there. It's, not, it's right next door. Philemon verse 16. This is a letter Paul wrote to Philemon himself. Uh, he says, Now, not as a servant, but above a servant, a brother, beloved, especially to me, but now much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul's talking to Philemon about his servant Onesimus, who ran away, ran to Paul, got saved. Now Paul's sending Onesimus back to Philemon, and Paul says, Try to accept him back in as a brother. Both a slave. He doesn't say, hey, make sure you let him go, make him free. He says, no, accept him as a brother. He's still a slave. So to remain as a slave is not a bad thing, Paul says. If you can become free, by all means do it, Paul says. Uh, so these are two uh, complete opposite ends of the spectrum, this this case of Onesimus and the case of somebody who can be free. But in spite of these extremely rare circumstances that we just referred to, Paul and in fact Jesus as well were not revolutionaries who were trying to establish the slave, uh, abolish the slave system. Paul and Jesus were not abolitionists. They weren't trying to get rid of the slave system. In fact, Paul's goal in ministry was to spread the gospel you know what? That ought to be our goal in ministry as well. We are not to be revolutionaries trying to abolish anything. Uh, we are to be, just like Paul, establishing groups of believers to expand the gospel throughout the world. That's what, that is our calling. As much as I may get passionate about certain political topics... I may be passionate about abortion. I may be passionate about Second Amendment rights. I may be passionate about uh, human rights, the pursuit of life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. That's not my goal. That's not my ministry. My ministry is sharing the gospel around this world. And we do well to stay focused on that. Uh, see, over time... Here's what happens if we are focused on it. Over time, Christian nations, such as England and the United States, they did challenge the concept of slavery, and eventually they did abolish them. By the way, England and the United States will go down in history as the only two nations on earth that have ever established, uh, abolished slavery that existed. They had slavery, and they abolished it. England and the United States are the only two that have ever gotten rid of it. That bears remembrance, too, for anybody who wants to eradicate that from history. Uh, by the way, uh, for coming from the uh, English abol abolition of slavery, we get our great hymn, Amazing Grace. Look at the history of that song. That came straight out of the English abolition movement. Uh, but that is not and still is not Christianity's goal. It's often an offshoot of it, but it is not the goal. Did you know 
Here's, I'm going to get political here for just a minute. Did you know that around the world today, around 45 million people, 45 million are living in a state of his, uh, slavery? 45 million people are in a state of slavery in the world today. That's 2023. That's even more slaves in the world today than ever were in the Roman Empire. There are more people living in slavery in 2023 today than lived in the Roman Empire. Yes, ma'am. We are talking, uh, believe it or not, a lot of them are sex slaves. Uh, a lot of them are um, ch uh, children forced into child labor, not being paid uh, in factories in India and China. I happen to know some people who, they're, they're ex-Navy uh, SEALs and their job is to kick down doors and free slaves. Uh, I can't reveal any of their names, but I happen to know people who do that sort of thing. Uh, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about servants for rich people. We're talking about people who have no life outside of their slavery. 45 million right now, 2023. Before you and I can think that we're sophisticated uh, in 21st century America, we need to stop and consider some facts. Anybody ready for another related fact? I just talked about slavery. I told you I was going to go political here for just a second. If human beings think that we're so advanced, we need to realize one other thing, that the 20th century, that's the century that we just passed, uh, was the deadliest and most brutal period of all human history in terms of wars and genocide. Did you know that? The bloodiest engagement of human history was the Second Battle of the Marne in France, World War I, where over a million people were killed in a single day. Let's consider something else. You might, you mind if I consider one other thing? Just one other, while we're on the topic. Let's consider the persecution and killing of Christians. Uh, by the way, just last night we evacuated the United States Embassy in Sudan uh, because of the mass genocide that's not being reported but is going on in uh, the nation of Sudan right now. Yesterday, I had one of my contacts in Global Media Outreach, we will call him Edward, uh, came to Christ in Sudan. I also, yesterday at the same time, got a threat from an Arabic person who was uh, threatening me personally for proselytizing people in Sudan. I don't know if it was related to Edward, but whatever the case may be. God's moving in Sudan. There's war going on in Sudan. Voice of the Martyrs tells us, in fact, in Sudan right now, they're uh, putting tires around people's necks and lighting them on fire for being Christians. They're welding people into barrels and burning them alive for being Christians in Sudan right now. You're not seeing that on the local news. Voice of the Martyr says that over 90,000 Christians are killed as martyrs every year. 90,000 every year. That's 247 per day. That's happening every day for being Christians. I can keep giving you statistics like that, but I think I've uh, made my point here and I'm getting a little bit off track. My point is that Christians in America ought to be, sometimes we come to church and the only thing on our mind is where we're going to go to lunch afterward. There's a lot more important things going on for the sake of Christ and the gospel. 
we could do with being a little more zealous and a little more pointed in our ministry. Human beings aren't as sophisticated as we might think. In fact, there's strong evidence that we are less sophisticated than first century Romans. I'm going to come back to 1 Timothy now. So in light of all that that I just finished saying, the New Testament writers should get a fair bit of credit for calling for and for establishing ties between slaves and their masters. Like, here's my encouragement for you today. This afternoon, grab the book of Philemon and read it. It's only one chapter long. See what Paul is doing and put, put that into the perspective of first century Rome. What Paul is asking for was revolutionary. Philemon, I want you to accept Onesimus back. I know you'd be perfectly in your rights to kill Onesimus, but I want you to accept him back, and I want you to accept him back as a brother. Read the book of Philemon this afternoon. What Paul's saying here is revolutionary. This is unheard of. So Paul says here, uh, oops, I lost 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Paul's saying here that uh, slaves in the church need to regard their masters as worthy of all honor. Now think of yourself in the position of a slave. Uh, that's an odd command, isn't it? Now in the Greek, this is the third person imperative command. This is a command, there's no wiggle room here at all in this command. Absolutely, you slaves, regard your masters as worthy of all honor. All honor. I already mentioned to you that throughout this passage we've been looking at for quite a few weeks now, we see an escalation. The widows are worthy of honor. Elders are worthy of double honor. Slaves to their masters, the masters are worthy of all honor. No question asked. By the way... The word honor used here is the same Greek word time that we've been looking at regarding widows and regarding elders. I know it's popular, particularly amongst Baptist preachers, to say that in verse 17 that uh, the honor that we're talking about is money. Oh, yeah, elders, that's talking about a pastor, and we should give him double honor. Never is time ever translated as money. It's always translated as honor. Time, honor. If you were to translate it one time as money there, it doesn't make any sense for slaves to give money to their masters. Right? It, do, it just doesn't make sense. It's bad translation to ever translate it that way. That's the point I'm trying to make here. So Paul knows that masters can sometimes be overbearing and that being a slave is often a thankless position in life. Right? Paul's not ignorant of that. But the most Dangerous form of slavery. Anybody have any idea what the most dangerous slavery is? How about being in bondage to sin? How about being a slave to sin? That's the most dangerous slavery. It leads to death. As, uh, let's, let's take a look at what uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 6. We've got time. Romans chapter 6, particularly we're going to look at verses uh, 16 to 20. Paul says, Know ye not 
that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye are the servants of sin, you are free from righteousness. You see, Christ has freed every last person who follows him from that inglorious end of death. Christ has freed them. That deserved an amen, by the way. Uh, See, that freedom ought to put a new perspective on our life, hadn't it? It ought to put a new perspective on my life. See, our calling as the bond slaves of Christ, then, is to honor God. Remember, it says, slaves, bond slaves, honor your masters. I am a bond slave of Christ. Who should I be honoring? Christ. I should be honoring God everywhere I find myself. See, earthly slaves, they ought to be honoring their masters. For you and me, as Christians, we need to honor our Lord as well. And it ought to be at all times, no questions asked. And Paul gives us a reason why this is so important. Let's look at the bottom half of the uh, verse 1. He says, That the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. That's why. That the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. We've gone over it before, but God's name is an expression of His rule and His activity. It refers to His being, His essence, His authority, His majesty. That's why we're to exalt the name of our God to this world. So, if there's slaves in the church who discredit their masters, they talk bad about their masters. And remember, at this time, probably 90% of the church was slaves. If they're talking down about their masters, then they are also discrediting the Son of God, whom they've confessed as Lord. Do you see how important this is? And that would cause God's name and God's doctrine to be slandered. See, Paul wants Timothy to teach the slaves in his church under his care in Ephesus to avoid this temptation. There's always a tendency to want to malign and despise your master. Let's say uh, we see it today. Let's use an example of an employee to an employer relationship. Always got that tendency. Well, he just doesn't understand. Oh, he does. If he could just think straight, we always have that tendency. We're human beings, right? Be honest, right? Uh, don't let that temptation overtake you. No matter how bad they may seem, treat them with respect. Treat them with the honor that you would give for the sake of God's very name, Paul says. that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. 
But we wrote verse 1 pretty hard. Let's move on to verse 2. I won't spend as much time on verse 2. It says, And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, and rather do them a service, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. So some slaves might find themselves in the very desirable position of having believing masters. Imagine yourself as a slave in the Roman Empire and your master has come to Christ. That's not a bad situation, hopefully. Think of our buddy Onesimus that I just told you about. Read Philemon this afternoon and see what this picture looks like. By the way, uh, we're talking about masters, right? You know what the word for master here in the Greek is? Despotes. Despotes. He's the despot. He's the one who's in charge of everything. Complete despot over all the life of this slave. He's in complete charge. So just as some slaves had come to Christ, most of the church at this time was slaves, so had some slave owners. Some of the people in the church were slave owners. By the way, the Bible never says there's anything wrong with being a slave owner either. As much as people want to eradicate that part from history too, there's nothing wrong with being a slave owner in the Bible either. Uh, if you want a beautiful picture of it, again, I've got to encourage you to read the book of Philemon. Read the book of Philemon and see what a believing master and a believing slave and the relationship that they can both have in Christ as master and slave. Take a look at it. It's only one chapter long. It's an easy read. But think about this believing master-slave situation. There might be a temptation for a slave to take advantage of their new relationship as uh, brother and sister in the faith, right? Well, you, you could do a little better for me. After all, we're brothers in Christ, right? We're human beings. We have that tendency sometimes. We see that sometimes. Well, we'll have a de uh, business deal with another Christian. and We'll expect something a little bit better than what we ought to be expecting, right? It happens. Paul's warning that this, that isn't the way it's supposed to be. We're always supposed to be on the level on all of our dealings. Paul tries to stop this tendency by saying, let them not despise them because they are brethren. On the contrary, they are to render to them service because they are faithful and beloved and partakers of the benefit. Paul says that these masters are worthy of this respectful service simply because they are brethren. Just because they are Christians, they deserve that respect. On top of that, they are beloved. Beloved. That's an interesting word. That's the uh, uh, Greek word agapetos. You might notice the beginning of that is agape. They are beloved by God. They are objects. The master, the believing master, is the object of God's agape love. That's why they're worthy of some respect. They are beloved of God. And Paul goes on to describe these masters as partakers of their benefit. 
partakers of the benefit. That's a cumbersome phrase in the King James. It, it's hard for us to see exactly what they mean when you're partakers of the benefit. What in the world do you mean? We, you really got to go into uh, looking at the original languages here to see what this is because the English is kind of misleading. It's basically saying that the believing masters are responsible for the welfare of their slaves. The master is responsible for everything the slave The slave doesn't own anything. Any food, any shelter, anything, any clothing, anything that the slave has comes from the master, right? Slaves are partakers of the benefit from their master. That's what that means. Paul wants that relationship to be as sweet as possible between the master and the slave. So we finally come to the end of our discussion of interpersonal relationships in the church, how we ought to handle widows, how we ought to handle elders, how we ought to handle master-slave relationships, Paul's personal beliefs on how Timothy ought to handle things. As we've wrapped up our look at what Paul thinks Christians ought to treat each other, we've covered a lot of ground, wouldn't you say? But the gist of it all, you could wrap it all up into basically one thought, is that we each... Each of us, every one of us, ought to treat each other with the very highest degree of respect and care that we can. That was true for widows. It was true for elders. It's true for slaves to masters. It's true for brothers Paul and Timothy to each other. There's no room for backbiting. There's no room for negative conversation in God's church. That's the gist of it all. And I think we all could work on that just a little bit more, couldn't we? We all have our negative tendencies. I have things I like to gripe about. You have things you like to gripe about. We could all shave a little bit more out of that in our lives, and we'd have a whole lot sweeter relationship here. Anybody want to work on that with me? Thank you. Do you mind if I close in a word of prayer? All right. Lord, we do thank you for just the nitty-gritty everyday life lessons that are in your word right down to how we ought to treat each other and I could do better so now that I've looked at it I'm without excuse so I'm asking you by the power of your Holy Spirit to help me to treat my brothers and sisters here with a little more respect and a little more care and to be more like you would be if you were right here on this earth, right beside me. Guide us through the rest of this day. Guide us through your word. Bless the rest of this day as only you can. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.